Welcome to Abounding Grace, the preaching ministry of Pastor Sean Cole of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thank you for listening. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church or to obtain full-length recordings of Pastor Sean's teachings, visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now, here's Pastor Sean. Good morning. Welcome to Abounding Grace, the preaching and teaching ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Sean Cole, and the past few weeks, we've been looking at some controversial issues. The reality of hell as a place of eternal conscious torment, the truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation, and all of these beliefs really hinge upon a person's understanding of Scripture. Once you take away the authority of God's Word, anything goes. So what I want to do this morning is to talk about the reliability, the trustworthiness of the Holy Scriptures. First of all, I want to give some theological terms in relation to the nature of Scripture, and then we're just going to dive into the Bible to see what the Bible says about the Bible. So first of all, All Scripture is breathed out by God. We mean by this that it's verbally inspired. It's breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God Himself breathed out the literal words to the writers of the Bible. Now, when we ask the question, who wrote the Bible, you may say, well, it was, it was Moses, it was Paul, it was John, it was Peter, and, and you'd be accurate. Those are the human authors of the Scriptures, but God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the ultimate author of the Scriptures. He breathed out his very word to these men to write exactly what God wanted written, every jot and tittle. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21 say this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the writing of the scriptures, these men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's word was breathed out to them so that they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. Now, obviously, they had different personalities. They had different writing styles. They wrote in many different genres. We understand that when we do Bible study. But behind all of this, God has inspired the scripture. Now, when we think of inspiration... Oftentimes, this word is misused in our culture. We may say that um, an artist was inspired to paint a painting, or, or, or Bono, part of U2, was inspired to write this great song, or Shakespeare was inspired to write Romeo and Juliet. And that's not what we're talking about. That's human inspiration. That's human ingenuity. We're talking about God breathing out His very word. So number one, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Number two, because it is God's breathed out word, all Scripture is inerrant in the original manuscripts, and therefore the Bible is absolute truth without any mixture of error. There are no errors in the original manuscripts. God's word is absolutely, unequivocally true. Numbers 23.19 
says, God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God's not going to record for us anything that would be unreliable, untrustworthy. God's word is without error. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So first of all, all scripture is breathed out. We call this inspiration. Secondly, all scripture is without error. We call this inerrancy. But thirdly, all scripture is infallible. And therefore, the Bible will endure for all time. It's indestructible. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. Number four, all scripture is authoritative and therefore is the supreme and final authority in testing all claims about what is true and right. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Many Christians will agree that God's word is absolutely true. They will agree that God's word is verbally inspired and God breathed. But where the rubber meets the road is when it comes to authority. Will they live their lives under the authority of God's word? Many times we hear people say, well, I I just need to apply the Bible to my life. That's an inaccurate statement. Because what becomes the supreme standard is my life. I'm going to apply the Bible to my life, and if it doesn't fit into my life, then I won't apply it. The better way of saying it is I'm going to adjust my life under the authority of the Scriptures. The Bible is the supreme and final authority. But number five, since Scripture is God-breathed, since it is absolutely true and without error, since it is infallible, since it is the final authority, the meaning of biblical text is a fixed historical reality rooted in historical, unchangeable intentions of its divine and human authors. Therefore, there is a fixed meaning that does not change. Just because something was written over 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that today we can tamper with it and we can change the interpretation based upon our cultural mores of today. There are, a, there are fixed meanings in the scripture that are transcendent across all cultures, across all time. We can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible we are going to reject or accept based upon our cultural sensibilities of what the culture may deem as right or wrong. So those are more of the theological issues related to the nature of scripture. But what I want to do is I want us just to dive into what does the Bible say about the Bible? Augustine, that famous theologian of the early church, in his famous confessions, has said this. He says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they find their rest in you. In other words, we have restless hearts, and our hearts are not going to come to rest until we find our joy in God. Where do we find our joy in God? We find our joy in God through the scriptures. Many Christians say they're Bible-believing people and that they would hold fast to God's word. But how many of us can say that we delight in or that we love or that we saturate ourselves in God's word? 
John Bunyan, you know, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, he spent many years in the Bedford prison in England, suffering persecution for his faith and because he would not recant, spent a lot of time reading the scriptures. And Charles Spurgeon said that John Bunyan knew his Bible so well that if you were to cut him at any place on his body, his blood would run bibline. Spurgeon invented a word there, bibline. In other words, for John Bunyan, the Bible just oozed out of him. May we be those type of people that the Bible just oozes out of us because we've spent so much time saturating ourselves, immersing ourselves in the Scriptures. I want to draw your attention to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8. We find four beautiful descriptions of what God's Word truly is. Psalm 19, 7 through 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In this psalm, you see a description of the nature of God's word followed by its result. And these are really stacked upon each other for emphasis. And so let's just look at the first one. God's word is perfect. That means blameless. Again, it contains no errors. It's absolutely true. And as a result, it says it revives the soul. It leads us to restoration. It leads us to forgiveness. It refreshes us. That word revive there in the original Hebrew is the word shuv. And a very important word in the Hebrew language, it means to repent or to turn. God's word leads to repentance. Secondly, God's word is sure. This means it's established, it's trustworthy, it's a sure foundation, it's unshakable. And as a result, it says it gives us wisdom. Now, obedience to God and reading His Word is not a matter of intelligence, it's not a matter of IQ, but it's on how we saturate ourselves in the Scripture. Are we Bible people? Are we wise in the Scriptures? Because we've spent so much time reading and studying Number three, God's word is right. This really means God's word is straight. There is no deviation. There is no turning in God's word. It's absolutely right and true. And as a result, it leads us to rejoice deeply in our hearts. Think about it. When you disobey God's word, it's going to bring heartache. It's going to bring a lack of peace. It's going to bring turmoil. But when you obey God's word, the right and straight word of God, it brings joy to your heart. Fourthly, God's word is pure. There is no evil or stain in God's infallible word. It's pure. And as a result, it gives light to our eyes. It opens our eyes to the truth. It exposes our errors. It shows us the glory of God in Christ. Psalm 119 is probably the greatest psalm, the greatest treatment in the entire Bible on the nature of the Bible. And we could spend a lot of time looking very intently at Psalm 119, but I want to draw your attention to, to a few verses. Psalm 119, 162 to 163. The psalmist says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Do we treasure God's word like that? 
Do we delight in? Do we rejoice in? And all throughout Psalm 119, the psalmist is talking about how he rejoices in God's word. He delights in God's word. He finds it to be greater than honey, greater than the greatest treasure on this earth. He treasures, he values God's word as the ultimate, the ultimate. Now let's move into the New Testament. And let's first of all look at what Jesus had to say. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus is giving the Pharisees a sharp rebuke because these Pharisees were looking at the scriptures. These Pharisees were, 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 were people that we would probably think were, were good in their Bibles. They were reading their Bibles. They were memorizing their Bibles. They were studying their Bibles. But they did all this Bible study and failed to realize the true meaning behind the Bible study. Notice what Jesus says to them in John 5, 39 through 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What Jesus is saying is the totality of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation speak about Christ. The focus is on Christ, the person and work of Christ. Yes, even in the Old Testament, it points to, it centers on Christ. In John 8, 30-32, as he was saying these things, speaking about Jesus, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word. That word abide means basically to live, to dwell, to spend time in. Spending time in God's word will lead us to the truth. And what does the truth do, Jesus says? It sets us free. It sets us free from the bondage of slavery to sin. It sets us free to worship him in spirit and truth. And so we must abide, spend time in. I like to use the word immerse or saturate. You think about saturating yourself um, in a pool. You go, you go to the deep end of a pool. You're, you're under the water. You're, you're allowing the word to soak you. Or you think about when you marinate um, food to get it ready to cook on the grill. You spend time marinating that and, and letting the juices soak in. That's what we need to do with God's word, letting it abide in us in John 14 23 through 24 Jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him whoever does not love me does not keep my words one of the key evidences that show that we love Jesus is that we keep his word we obey his word we follow his word John 17, 17, I referred to this earlier, but Jesus is praying to the Father in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, Jesus could have said, your word is true, and that would be true, but notice what he says, your word is truth. The, the original language captures the idea that it is the truth with a capital T. God's word is truth the truth. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we find out these Jews who were living in Berea. It says, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. 
They received the word with eagerness. They had an eagerness to, to devour God's word, to take in God's word. They examined the scriptures every day. Do we have this type of eagerness? Do we have this type of readiness to receive the word when it's preached on Sunday morning? When you're in a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class, do you come with an eagerness to receive the word? Do you examine it? Do you search out the scriptures? Are you, are you zealous for God's word? Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do sinners get saved? Sinners get saved through hearing the word of Christ preached or taught or declared or shared. Without the proclamation of the word of Christ, there's no opportunity for people to hear. And if people can't hear, they can't call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so it's so crucial that the word of God is preached. There's a lot of things that can be preached in churches. There's a lot of things that can be talked about from the pulpit. But if the word of Christ is not central, then, then how are people going to be saved? People aren't saved by hearing cute little stories. People aren't saved by dramatic presentations. People aren't saved by stirring music. Those things may help, they may add, but a person is not saved unless the word of Christ, the Bible, is preached. Paul makes some interesting statements in 2 Corinthians about his ministry probably one of the most autobiographical books of Paul in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Notice he says we don't peddle God's word. This word peddler means a, a corrupt huckster. Someone who's going to corrupt, someone who's going to, to twist God's word. I mean, how many times do we see this around us? Just turn on Christian broadcasting and you see it all the time. Hucksters on TV trying to sell a bill of goods that is not the word of God. You see it all over the internet. You go into Christian bookstores. You've got people all over the place that are peddling God's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul continues on this theme. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says we refuse to tamper with God's word. This word tamper really means to adulterate it, to deny it, to betray it, to defraud it, to twist it in some way. We shouldn't twist or adulterate or tamper with God's word. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul also says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It says here that the word of God is the word of truth. It's the gospel of our salvation, the word of truth. Later on in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 Paul, when he's describing the armor of God, gives the, the only offensive weapon in the armor of God, which he likens to a sword. He says in Ephesians six seventeen, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The, 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 the sword that was used to describe here that Paul talks about was not the massive broad sword uh, like a big baseball bat that they would use to club people over the heads with in battle, but it was more of a sharp dagger 
about 6 to 18 inches long that was used in hand-to-hand combat to try to cut a vulnerable spot in a person's armor or to inflict damage. And that's the type uh, of, of nature that the Word of God is. It cuts, it pierces, it's strong, it's powerful, it goes on the offensive. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, it's the idea of immersing ourselves, saturating ourselves, marinating ourselves, whatever metaphor you want to use to to, to spending time in the word of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's a powerful passage of scripture. God's word is not just some thoughts made up by men that wanted to write some religious things. Again, this goes back to the nature of inspiration. It is literally God's word breathed out. And so when God's word comes to us, it's not just the opinion of man. It is actually the very thought and heart and intentions of God himself. And notice it says it is at work. In you who are believers, God's word is at work in us. When we hear and when we receive and when we teach and when we listen to sermons and when we study God's word, immerse ourselves, God's word is at work in us. It's doing a work. 2 Timothy 2, 8-9. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. Some translations say God's word is not in chains. Think about all the ways throughout the centuries that people have tried to get rid of the Bible. But it hasn't happened. God's word is not chained. God's word is not bound. God's word is is powerful. It's alive. Even in closed and persecuted nations where people have to hide out to be Christians, where people are killed for being Christians, they may not have the full Bible, they may have fragments of it, but the Bible, no matter how many times people have tried to get rid of it, to burn it, to, 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 to try to get to rid the world of the Bible, it still stands. It's not bound, it's not chained. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When we do Bible study, when we prepare messages, when we do things related to teaching and preaching and proclamation, we must rightly handle the word of truth. That means that we need to interpret it correctly, carefully exegete it, spend time in the text I'm just going to give a little personal opinion here. It drives me crazy when I turn on Christian television or I hear someone preaching on the radio and they may give one scripture verse and then for the rest of the sermon they go off on all of their ideas, all of their stories, pop psychology, the latest and greatest things that are coming into our, into our world, but they don't spend time in the text or they make the text say something it doesn't say. We must rightly Handle the text. Spend time in the text. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, preach 
the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is happening all around us. Notice what it doesn't say. This text does not say, preach yourself. Preach little stories that entertain people. Preach the latest and greatest in marketing or in pop psychology or in self-esteem. No, it says preach the Word. Preach God's Word. Spend time in the Word. Expose God's Word. Give people God's Word. Why? Paul says because people have itching ears. Ears that want to be tickled with everything other than God's Word. And so people will go to places where they're going to hear what they want to hear. And there are many peddlers of God's word in our world today that are giving people exactly what they want to hear. It doesn't matter what we want to hear. God has spoken in his word and we are to receive the full counsel of God's word as the absolute truth and receive it with joy. It may convict, it may convert, it may wound, it may strengthen, it may do all these things as a living, active word of God, but we need to receive it as the word of God. Because the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 12-13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word's living. It's active. It can pierce us to the bone. It exposes us. It lays us naked and bare before the living God. It holds us accountable It judges the heart. It's that sharp knife that digs deeply into us, showing us the truth. James says in James 1, 22 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Many people have the Bible go in one ear and out the other. They sit and they hear sermons. They do Bible studies. They're part of Sunday school classes. They're part of small groups. They're part of missional communities, whatever you want to call it. They're involved in all these things and they hear the word, but it never translates into action it never translates into obedience we are to persevere in obedience and and james is saying you're blessed if you actually put into practice what you are hearing first peter 1 23 through 25 peter says since you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's an amazing verse. 
When God's word was preached to you or taught to you or proclaimed to you or shared with you, something miraculous happened if you are a Christian. God the Holy Spirit took that word, he implanted it into your heart and caused you to be born again. This is what we call the miracle of regeneration. God caused you to be born again, to go from being dead in your sins to being alive in Christ. You received the word, you became a Christian because God did this. John, in 1 John 2.14, says this, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Notice again we have this theme, this repeated theme of the word of God abiding in us. And what does it say here? Because the word of God abides in us, you've overcome the evil one. How do you have power and strength to resist the devil? By the word of God. 2 John 1, 9 through 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, there's that word again, in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. There are many who will knock on your door that are part of non-Christian cults that are going to come and try to give to you another word, another gospel. And John's saying, do not let them into your house. Well, how does the Bible end? Revelation 22, 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, obviously, this is specific to the book of Revelation, but I believe the principle applies to the overall Bible. We can't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible we like and which parts we don't like. We can't make the Bible say something it doesn't or leave out what it says. So we've seen that God's word is absolutely true without any mixture of error. It is holy, it's authoritative, it's verbally inspired, it's God-breathed, it is to be received with joy, it's to dwell in us. And that's where the bottom line comes.